0: Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build.
1: Hello, our lovely viewers, and welcome back to Marxist Think Tank. Myself, Chris, and Rich here. Hello, Rich.
0: Hello. Hello, Chris.
1: So, this week we're going to be talking about, very timely, uh, the Queen and more broadly, the institution of the monarchy, I believe. Um, Now, if anyone was waiting, originally this was meant to go out yesterday. Uh, You really, by serendipity, it's ended up today, which has happened to be King Charles' ascension to throne. Uh, So it's kind of worked out quite well, I believe. (laughs) Uh, So I'm just gonna go through uh, some thoughts, a bit of history about the queen and the sort of recent monarchy. And its role in British society and its role shaping the world that we're currently in, whether that be positive or negative. I imagine the majority of our viewers will have come with answer preloaded and probably know what we're going to say as well, but let's get there. That's half of the fun. Uh, Rich, do you, want to, do you want to kick us off and see what we've got?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, it's quite a big thing we've got to cover here. We're talking about Um, someone who refers to their family as the firm, Um, you know, you're talking about, of course, a queen, a monarch, a head of state, uh, the head of 14 countries, actually, the head of state of 14 countries. So in her dying, uh, old Lizzie, Queen Elizabeth II dying, you've had 14 heads of state die, which, if you think about it, can never happen (laughs) in any other circumstance. Um, But I do, I just want to take a quote, you know, sort of, from her opening speech, um, uh, one of her speeches, she said, you know, um, talking about her duties to say to that, that the matriarch of our great imperial family of which we all belong. Okay, of course, now she's gone. Um, mm. little, I mean, I've got loads of information here and statistics have picked up. But when she took power in um, 52, uh, and obviously coronated in 53, she actually, um, uh, more than a quarter of the world's population was under her. Um, You know, the 700 million people were under the British Crown in some no. shape or form. So it's a huge, you know, it, it, it she was, um, as many people have described, the last imperial uh, sovereign. Yeah. She oversaw the the decline, you know, independence movements and stuff. And you know, she's what 15 prime ministers, 14 U.S. presidents. So you have to remember that she's a contemporary of Truman and Churchill. Those are the two people that were in power when she came into power. So that's how far back you're talking when you're talking about which leaders uh, she came in with and then also who she's been around since. And uh, I mean, people always reference that her coronation is the first color televised event, mass color, color televised event. Um, you know, she was the first person, you know, they started using email and radio and all sorts of stuff in her time. So there's loads of things to cover. I mean, we're talking about, yeah, we are talking about an institution of the British Empire. Uh, And then a family and a firm and all sorts of stuff. Um, One thing I think I will remember is um, the surname, Windsor. Uh, It's not really their surname. Uh, They changed it in 1917. Their real surname is Saxer Coburg Gotha or Gotha. I'm not really sure if probably Gotha. I don't know. My German is not great. Um, And I think that's quite an important point is that these guys, this family, the firm, are masters of PR. Um, the fact that they can get African people and African nations and nations that they former colonized to have people that even like them there is because they're very good at PR. Um, the history kind of speaks for itself. I don't think we can cover all of the history. Um, but I think what I'd like to show you guys, uh, if you, if you don't mind, Chris is just to look at her coronation in 1952, that thing that was, um, put into color and was broadcasted. I've got some stamps. We're not going to watch the whole thing. Of course. Um, that good with you, Chris. Yeah. Let's have a spin. All right, let's go for it. Uh, so, I've put some nice little timestamps for us here. So, one second. Um, yeah, here we go. So, uh, just double check—that's fine. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So, she is here riding in her carriage. So, I'm going to start from this one here.
3: Imagine, if you can, our young queen's feelings, as with her husband beside her she is slowly born towards the hours-long ceremony of prompt, circumstance, and dedication, consecrating her as queen of all the nations and all the races over which she holds sovereignty.
1: When did we stop speaking like that?
0: (laughs) I think you're muted. Sorry, I've muted myself. Yes, sorry. (laughs) But yes, when did we stop speaking like that? Right. sovereign of all the races and native yeah. family though yeah. Uh, yeah ridiculous um but yeah so there you go there's the the troops marching um you know up and down the square and the next thing oops sorry let me put that back uh the next thing I'm going to show you is just jump ahead to 520 so here she is um accepting the uh crown she's being crowned and just just watch some of these bits and bobs
3: The first necessary step in the traditional ritual is that the Queen should be accepted by the people. The Archbishop of Canterbury addresses the congregation. Sir, I here present unto you Queen Elizabeth, your undoubted Queen. Wherefore, all you who are come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? The people have recognized their sovereign. The
0: people. So, believe it or not, th- those are the English people or the British people. They have recognized their sovereign. This room, consisting entirely of um, bishops and priests and very few women and very few people of yeah. color, the are freely.
3: British
1: society. Sh-
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. These aristocrats. And um, yeah, so these are the people, apparently. This is a part of the ceremony. This is what they believe. Going to jump ahead to another little timestamp we have.
3: The climax of the ceremony has arrived, when the Archbishop gently sets this splendid emblem on the Queen's head. The
1: trumpet sound It's such and a camp affair, isn't it? Like such so pomp- a what? It's such a camp affair. So much pomp and ceremony. I get the need for for ritualistic sort of behavior in in society, it, it's nice sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. the Americans have it to a much minimal affair—the the swear a, of the oath, a, a swear to uphold uh, the office of the presidency. But this, with the mm-hmm. costumes, the peasantry, the trumpets—it just feels like something that it, it well, it is completely out of time. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. These, so many of these traditions haven't really changed tremendously since. At least Elizabethan, Edwardian, or even Georgian times. Some of them going much further back than that.
0: <laughs>
1: and yeah, yeah, it's, it's just it's, obviously it's a way of social conditioning completely because people rely on them and they really, really get invested in these sort of things. Obviously, we we've seen that today. I don't know if you've tried to speak saying anything remotely against what's going on today on social media, but. The average, uh, the average Joe really pushes back against you. People really mm. do. It's like attacking Christmas, isn't it?
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. I, 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 yeah, I think actually on that question of, you know, criticizing uh, the Queen versus criticizing uh, the firm or criticizing the image of the Queen that we yeah. see. So uh, there's actually a good quote which I'm going to find later when we bring up maybe a conversation about Africa and the colonies and what the response has been in Africa from Africans regarding whether they are allowed to criticize or how they feel about it. But yeah, I think there is a very clever um, sort of, again, PR thing here where if you criticize the queen, people are like, Oh, you're just talking about a very nice old lady who, you know, was very polite and drank tea and, and all these things and and, and said nice stuff and and had lots of charities and how dare you. So, yeah, but I think, what I th- what we shouldn't really look at is also that she herself calls herself the firm and you're talking about something bigger than that. So I will say that we're not criticizing the nice lady that drinks tea, but no. we're taking a bigger picture of who she actually is and what she stands for as an institution. So that's quite an important yeah. point, I think. Yeah. So um, this is what we're looking at. I mean, this is, this is the almost the ancient regime. If you want to use the French revolutionary term, uh, what you're looking at, you look at that There's people in like white, uh, dresses and then sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, crown, Everyone's got a crown and, and uh, I mean, they've only just changed their surname uh, 40 years before this. So they probably, I mean, I know that Victoria, a lot of them spoke German in the household too. They obviously phased yeah. that out in the 20th century, but. Um,
1: Mainly due to, as you you alluded to with, with the name change and the fact that it's yes. PR, they're good at PR. And yes. the, one of the main reasons of that was because of obviously two world wars against Germans, it's not mm-hmm. sexy to be having a German royal family's name while you're getting mm-hmm. bombed by Germans. It was a complete yeah. practical decision. You see documentaries but, now saying that the House of Windsor from this state to this state It was like, well, they weren't called nope. the House of Windsor in this original day. Absolutely, they were have the German name. <laughs> that I can't even begin. Yeah, with.
0: yeah, yeah. Saxon, got something called. Coburg, A three-barrel name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but just on that one we just saw, it is, I mean, yes, traditions are always a bit strange, you know, there because it's an old practice, but it, it was bizarre. She puts the crown on, they then put their little crowns on, and then there's guys with little swords, and uh, it, it's almost childish uh, in a way. It's but uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about that crown in a moment. So I'm just going to play the last bit now, and then we'll uh, have a bit of a chat about what we've just seen. So just as the last piece here
3: and so this day of days most memorable comes to an end and with it begins a new era the new elizabethan age an age in which the love and faith and hope of all the commonwealth rest on the slim shoulders of the beautiful queen who has just been crowned long may she reign now
1: if we were to hear that commentary coming out of the mouth of the lady in pink, news anchor, in North Korea. They'd accuse it of being cultish. Literally, word for word, the the fate and and the happiness security rests on this woman. <laughs> that is that's cultish language, and that is intentionally so.
0: <laughs> You're right. I mean, I've actually I've been reading some monarchists uh, tweets and posts, and they say. Well, you know, the monarch is a stable force, and it oversees and its duty, and and also this expression: they are there to serve the people, and it is almost comical that <laughs> how close this is to uh, Marxist-Leninist uh, states yeah. language about serving the people and duty and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and you want to sit right that that uh, yeah. if you were. <laughs> right. Be if you this North Korea, they'd be like, oh this is this is this is uh this is bizarre. <laughs> People are waving flags and crying for a, a really uh distant person that they've never met and never met, will meet. And uh well, what is this? Yeah. You know, meanwhile, look at this. It's it's almost identical. Um yeah, yeah. Uh I mean that last line though, long uh you know, may her her reign, uh may she reign forever long, whatever he whatever yes. he said. Uh quite you know, um, considering that she was yes the longest reigning British uh, sovereign and the second reigning longest reigning uh, sovereign ever. Uh, yes, the sure. the longest reigning Victoria. was, pardon.
1: The before that was
0: Victoria, wasn't it? Uh, I, I don't know who where she matches up. She's close, but for, for for British, perhaps she's second. I just know that of all royals ever, uh, Louis the Fourteenth beats her by um, two years. I think he's seventy two years or something like that. Oh. Um, Yeah, and another little tidbit is that that coach, the the massive gold state coach that they all ride around Hmm. in. Any guesses on how old that is, Chris? No, go on. 1762, so it's uh, 25-odd years older than America. Um, That is how old that coach is. It's ancient. I was
1: going to ask, do you you think, if if it was a newer creation, I would have thought that it's probably not what it appears to be because it looks very much like a gold carriage, but I bet it's not. I bet it's just gilded I, I gold. What would it be? A yeah, no, I don't
0: think it's it's not solid gold. I mean, though that, that would be very royal if it was solid gold, but uh, it's, it's it's actually not, not, it's
1: not very it's, structurally sound. Right. Riding yeah. On soft metal, yeah. gold isn't yeah. not very good for anything really. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Right. But um uh, apparently, though, this thing's really uncomfortable to ride, in. so you actually have a number of almost like TripAdvisor reviews. From different royals describing their experiences in uh, this uh, gold state coach, and uh, Queen Victoria described her uh, ride as uh, distressing oscillation. So, and yeah, apparently it's really crap. Jeep <laughs> like seat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, um, I mean, the whole thing that I wanted to talk about. In terms of that ceremony it, really the the part that stands out the whole thing is it's about a crown right that's the the big thing here yeah. and uh I, I know that everyone's probably been reading the news what is this crown uh what does it have and people talking about these diamonds stolen diamonds inside it and to be honest it's, it's, no, it's no mystery it's not a conspiracy like they're not hiding where any of this comes from if you go to the um i'll share the page here so we can all look at it uh the uh, the Tower of London's actual page, which which is where they are, the Crown Jewels are there, um, and you'll see that it yeah, it's it explains it pretty straightforward. This is what they are. This is where we got them. And uh, so the first one is, of course, the Saint Edward's Crown, which was made in 1661. It's made of lots of gold and so this
1: is what placed in the head there.
0: Yeah. So this one here. Uh, so in this picture here, old Lizzie is wearing the imperial state crown, and she's holding the Sovereign Sept with cross and sovereign's orbed. So this is the imperial state crown. Is it the same one? No, it's different to this one. It's the imperial state crown is this one. This is the imperial state crown. So she's wearing the latter. So there's a different one. So bear in mind, the crown jewels consist of 100 objects and over 23,000 gemstones. So it's not just like The crown, that ball, and the stick—it's a whole bunch of other stuff too. Um, And this is
1: only a small part of her actual material wealth. Oh gosh! When we talk about the queen's money, a lot of it isn't isn't cash money. It is—it's wrapped up in in jewels, which defenders seem to act as that's an excuse. Like. Oh they haven't really got the cash it's in jewels well we will take jewels we, like, we're not picky <laughs> yeah
0: yeah 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 <laughs> right 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 yeah no definitely I mean gold is oh no, it's not money it's it's only gold yeah, <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> oh yeah okay. well, well, then we can't do this I mean what could you no one would ever exchange these things for money of course can't break down jewels into cash no um but yeah actually i've got we have some uh, a good article about the um the wealth and the land uh, that I've got if you want to bring that up later. Uh yeah so that's her with the three big ones that we all know the, the the main crown the orb and the stick so uh let's not talk about saint edward's crown we'll just write that one off it's even though it's whatever 400 years old right. um let's go straight to the uh let me just double check yes of course this one alone yeah here we go the imperial state crown from 1937 so this one was uh worn by king george the sixth uh at in 1937 when he was crowned so that's Elizabeth's dad, uh, the yep. guy with the speech impediment, the guy from the King's Speech, um, the movie, yep. uh, replacing the one that Queen Victoria wore, wore which is a different one, uh, which I assume is the old one, the, the um, Edwardian one. Of yeah, course, her brother,
1: saying. George's brother, was Edward, who abdicated.
0: Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's the, actually a good point. Kind of and kind of he yeah. And... But, yeah, he Sorry,
1: was the one He was the one who went to buddy up with Hitler and very well in in an alternate universe would have been some sort of fascist king for a Mosley-led government.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a very real alternative reality that could have happened. (laughs) I mean, that's well documented that there was big sections of the British elite that were contemplating, at least contemplating, um, some sort of deal like that with Mosley, with with Hitler, with, with the fascists. Um, yeah, it's, it's I think that's well documented. Uh, I think that's, that is an important point to make though is that had uh, Edward kept on, um, Queen Elizabeth would never have been queen ever. Um, yes. George would have taken over, and then, um, you know, had he not died, uh, maybe uh, things would have been different. But well, actually, there would have been Edward's kids that would have taken on no, exactly no. different bloodline, so it would be, yeah, so. The only reason, actually, she stayed on for seventy years is because of Edward advocating because he wanted to be with this American, um, you know, yes. socialite. Yes. Uh, George took over. George died quite young, and then you know she was left with the the crown, the hot potato. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, so had, it was a bit of an exception.
1: Fifty-seven, I believe, was when when he died.
0: His age or the yeah, year? He, Sorry,
1: it was, it was in his mid-fifties. I think he was he was a quite a heavy smoker. I think he, he died of.
0: Yeah uh, from the age, but yeah, it was a it was a it was a health, it was, a, it was smoking yeah. and, and poor poor lifestyle, I think. Yeah, but yeah, he did, did die relatively young, yeah, which is yeah, why she why she took on. She was never she was not born to be the queen. she, she probably had had um none of this happened. She probably would have just been one of the unknown royals that no one really cares or talks yeah. about just has a bunch of horses it's, and then the
1: queens and, are now
0: right, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, But yeah, uh, so if we talk about the Imperial State Crown, uh, so it has Cullinan II as well as a bunch of other diamonds. So this is the the diamond that's of interest, Cullinan II and Cullinan I. So these two come from a diamond that was mined in South Africa in 1910 um, and is the largest diamond ever mined. And in the things that were cut from it were the the largest diamond set. So um, there's one in, let me show you here. There you go. So if you're looking big down big here, what, what's that?
1: Is this this big oval at the bottom?
0: Yeah, so I believe the Imperial Crown, blah, 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 blah. Okay, this is the Blue Stuart Sapphire, uh, which was smuggled out by James II when he fled in 1682 and adored the Imperial Crown, So it's not that one. Uh, this one is the Black Prince's Ruby, which is another massive stone uh, from Pedro the Cruel, King of Castile. Before we get to Edward, guess okay, So it's not that one. The crew. This is it here. This, this is it here. Yeah, the Cullinan Two Diamond is set in the front band of the Imperial State Crown. It's the second largest stone to be cut from the Cullinan Diamond, the world's largest diamond. So there's it is, massive, whopping piece of, uh, yeah. Wealth. Well, you actually
1: look at the crown; it's not as perfect as you'd imagine it would be, because obviously they wanted to keep the size of these crown, these jewels intact. But you'd yes. imagine that it would be quite a, a symmetrical.
2: Real yeah, reasons.
1: yeah. Like, that red one above it, it looks too big for what it's set into. Like,
0: yes. And the the pearls aren't exactly. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that's the best craftsmanship that's seen <laughs> either. Actually. Shoddy workmanship. Yeah. I
3: said it. Yeah. <laughs> I That's actually a pretty priest.
0: rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> no, is that the best you can do? Come on. <laughs> okay. Um Then there's the sovereign, the sovereign scepter with cross. Okay, so this is where Cullinan One is the bigger one, I guess. Um and yeah, it was transformed in 1910 for George V by addition of the Spectacled Cullinan One, um, the Cullinan One was discovered in 1905. Sorry, correction, not 1910, um, uh, by Frederick Wells, the mine's surface manager, was alerted to a shiny object and then you know took it out of the ground. But there are conflicting stories that it was actually one of the African workers who saw it first and then alerted him. But nonetheless, uh, we'll have a conversation about that in a bit about the land and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, this was the biggest diamond ever found on colonial land, uh, recently taken from African people and apparently gifted it as a symbol of, for peace for Britain and South Africa following the wars. But there it is. That's the, the big diamond in the stick that, that we're all talking about that we will probably see next year when we have Charles's coronation. Yes. yes. But yeah, uh, and one more. Uh, let's not talk about the orb. It's just a you know a giant piece of jewelry that's very old. This one here is actually quite inter- interesting, and this is a different crown. So this jewel is called the Koh- i Noa. Excuse my pronunciation, but uh, it's very famous because this one uh, is an Indian one. So right. apparently it comes right. from some southern India, and it was held by many previous owners. So Mughal emperors, Shahs of Iran, Emirs of Afghanistan, and Sikhs. And oh, sorry, and, and Sikh Maharajas, and this one is taken by the East India Company, and if you want to read about you know proper plunder and yeah. theft yeah. and exploitation and all stuff, you need not look any further than looking into the history of the East India Company. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the Queen is happy to wear and carry um, many expensive, extremely expensive, probably arguably the most expensive jewelry in the world, um, you know, as a part of her ceremony. Yet uh, somehow. You know, takes these things and wears them without um, carrying the baggage or the blood um, that is clearly on the these jewels. Like you cannot really separate the the crimes uh, of of the of, of the British Empire from these jewels. They are literally from you know imperial sites and have yeah, an imperial. These, these stones
1: represent quite quite well, in all in all. So with these jewels, obviously with everything that's been going on recently, it's all, you can't scroll through too far through social media without an article popping up of um, India now uh, renewing their request to have their jewels returned to them. And Mm -hmm. I've, I've had this argument out in the past few days with people who the worst excuses for not returning them. One of the worst ones I've heard was that they're safe with us. We keep them protected. Which my reply was so if I break into your house and steal your TV, as long as I promise yeah. you to keep it safe, can I keep it? Yeah. It seems like the fact that handing them stolen goods is a crime in it itself, separate to theft. Yeah. This we know this is wrong. We that the British yeah. Empire and the British Museum know that these things have been taken through nefarious means. They write it in placards.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah,
3: exactly.
1: No, uh, no reason over then we can't because the boss says no.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's 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 an extremely awkward thing for the British Museum and the royal family to go on these trips to these countries and make speeches about history, and and then try and somehow not acknowledge or trying to sort of say, oh, yes, we acknowledge these things, but then maybe not apologizing. I think that's something that, that I wanted to read to you was a quote that from the Queen. So she, she was one of the first, she was, yes, one of the first royals to visit Ireland um, for decades, obviously following the, the split mm-hmm. and the, the, the Civil War and all of the history. And um, there's a quote here she, she says at the banquet with uh, the Irish Prime Minister, which is obviously Irish Republic, not Northern Ireland. Um, she, said, she says, quote, To all those who have suffered as a consequence of our troubled past, I extend my deep thoughts and sincere th- sympathy. With the benefit of historical hindsight, we can all see things which we wish would have been done differently or not at all. So, I mean, yes, it, it says deep sympathies and thoughts. And um, if only, you know, hindsight, oh, it's it's so much it's better. But you don't really see like the we're really sorry. I, I regret this. And I'm very sorry. I mean, there are instances where there have been apologies, but there is this almost seemingly unwillingness to directly apologize and directly, um, yeah. you know, confront their crimes, uh, at least on some issues. I think on some, they have apologized and whatnot, but, but in, in that statement, I don't really feel like it, it feels like words play, words play no. and wordsmith around the obje- around the, 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 the role, the role of your family.
1: And I feel like a lot of it is depending on whether the benefits of those crimes are still benefits today. Like With yeah. Ireland, because it's not over, because Britain has still got the tippy-toe in Northern Ireland, and it's still a hot topic issue, to apologise for anything related to the colonialisation of Ireland or any crimes of Britain in Ireland mm-hmm. would be seen as giving ammunition to Irish nationalists, mm-hmm. which... Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which he would not be allowed to do. Hmm. But we, we said to this, uh, we brought this up last week when we were talking about uh, Gorbachev, um, with his speeches and how people are moved by speeches, and they don't realise that speech writing is a job in itself. And the people who read those speeches probably only got them the night before, or sometimes even less. They weren't the ones who wrote them. And it goes go for the two for the Queen. The Queen doesn't physically sit down and write. Those speeches that so many grandmas cry over. These are written by professional writers, hmm. and hmm. what is included and not included is put or redacted with incredible deliberacy.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Except for um, actually, yeah. There's two things I want to say to that. Except for Andrew, uh, when when Andrew <laughs> got in front of the camera, but uh, others. But uh, you, you're right. Though. You're absolutely right because. Uh, we've said this a number of times, our PR, PR is their big thing. They're very good at at pushing the image and and changing and adapting and and reinventing themselves. Um, So there were three good, really good articles that I found from the guardian. And one is talking about how Buckingham palace banned um, ethnic minorities from office roles um, back in the Um, sixties. But basically any sort of Royal household, uh, they exempted themselves from ethnic uh, sort of discriminatory laws or race and sex laws where you couldn't not hire someone because they were black or Indian or, um, or a woman or whatever. Um, so they exempted themselves from that. So that was a big story and going along with uh, the whole Harry and M- uh, Meghan story and Oprah and all that stuff too. Um, the Royal household, the queen uh, quickly found a way of changing that narrative and sort of, you know, reinventing themselves. So she got um, a an equerry, which I don't know what this role was, but it's a soldier that serves in her personal capacity in some way. And he's called Lieutenant Colonel Nana turquamasi ankra So obviously um, uh, a darker skinned guy, I assume assume from Africa. I'm not really sure where he's from. But, um, you know, that was adopted in, the, in whatever, 2018 or 2019 um, yeah. to sort of then yeah. counter the idea that they were racist and the idea that there was a problem with, 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 with racism in the household. Um, so they're very good at, at, at changing things when they need to, but uh, I mean, also the history is there. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's almost naive for a lot of people lie to themselves and sort of pretend that we're in a post racist society or that the Royal family are above it, which is ridiculous. I like, could, We've All seen those pictures, which are incredibly difficult to even look at, never mind defend. Of Prince uh, William and Philip back in the day being carried by it was a specific tribe of I, I can't remember whether, whether they were Caribbean or um
3: mm-hmm.
1: sort of the other side of the world, but, but but they were these black, tribalish, um, looking men. And for some reason, I believe it was something to do with World War II, Prince Philip. Oh, they right. hung up around Prince Philip, but they pandered to it and they go and they carried on chairs. And, like, right, you know, after I to think, especially for somebody like Megan, who herself has well, she's black, one of her parents she identifies as black, one of the one of her parents is white. But how is she must have had that thought? How am I going to explain to my black child, yeah, the, these pictures of this family that were meant to be told to have pride in. Like like, what the fuck? What what what's that about?
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, that specific story, I mean, um I'm a bit rusty in the details, but it's 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 I believe it's it's an island somewhere in near Vanuatu, which is the Pacific. And yeah, yeah, they have this some sort of accident of history relating to who knows what. Uh, But that the people on this island believe that Prince Philip um was god and yeah yeah, they had a a portrait of him and for whatever reason believed that he was god and uh worshipped him and yes you're right he didn't really sort of he kind of embraced it or kind of maybe they didn't you know deal with it with sort of kind of the seriousness that they should have or or maybe you know shouldn't have pandered to it perhaps um yeah yeah yeah. I, i just wanted to bring up this thing here about the actual you know ethnic minorities stuff that that came up um i mean it's very clear this is this is the guardian so the queen court is Banned colored immigrants or foreigners from serving in clerical roles in the royal household until at least the late 1960s. So we're talking about, uh, what is that, seven, at least uh, perhaps 17 years into her rule, um, there was a ban on colored immigrants or foreigners. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff actually. So talking about the other thing that I wanted to bring up from The Guardian was, you know, the Queen is always portrayed as not interfering in politics, not uh, taking a role and not making any decisions and not influencing anything and whatever. Um, and that's always been the big argument that, oh, no, no, she's not really the queen. She's just, you know, she's just a figurehead. She's just, she's just that lovely lady. Um, but sadly, that's not true. No. Uh, take a look it's here. Slightly.
1: One thing that they do sort of lean on that is, obviously through history, people who aren't British and don't know, we had what's referred to as the Glorious Revolution, uh, the Parliamentary it's Revolution, true. where basically we, we killed a king, became a republic for for a moment ish but then brought a king back and part of that condition was that we parliament would forever curb the power of but that rule was quickly eroded and more and more the, the monarchs did interfere with parliament using soft power suggestion that if if tories and originally tory what is now the conservative. That ideology sprang from uh, the cavaliers, the people who were there to protect the king. They were the the opponents of the roundheads. This is an ideology of monarchism. So Mm -hmm. having a monarchist party dominate British politics, as they have since they were the opposition of the Whigs and now the opposition of the Labour Party um, in government, how can you, you, these are the representatives of, of the royal. You can't say, oh, the royals aren't influencing mm. politics. And so, will they completely influence one of the biggest political mm. parties, the oldest now political party in the world?
0: Mm. Mm. So it's yeah, naive I
1: mean, to even think that those two things aren't aren't connected. Yeah, I know we're yeah, going to talk uh, about it shortly. But when we were with the thing with Andrew, when Boris Johnson was asked about his opinion of Andrew, his answer was, "The royal family is beyond reproach." So well, that says it all. As far as these people who are in power, the largest political party in in the UK. Leave the royals can do what they want, the the laws don't apply to them, and that is scary,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And you know, there's other the other side to it is then that a lot of the wider royal family, the the bigger, the the longer tentacles of the firm, um, do yeah, you're talking about people that are in either associations, whether it's uh financial groups or uh actual members of, of, of the conservative party or lords, um. They do stretch further. So yes, you might say, oh, the the queen doesn't do make decrees um, and doesn't interfere. But well, okay, well, but the relationship between this yeah. aristocratic class and uh, the bourgeois class mm-hmm. is very much intertwined. But in fact, though, uh, we, I do have to sort of go into this article that we've got here, where this idea of them just being um, soft power, as you say, or influencing stuff. Is yeah. also not yeah. even accurate. That there's a lot of far more direct, blatant, um, obviously behind doors, but blatant. No, you can't do this. We don't want that. This doesn't apply to us. So, um, if you look here, royals vetted more than 1,000 laws via Queen's consent. So, um, more than 1,000 laws have been vetted by the Queen or Prince Charles through a secretive procedure before they were approved by the UK's elected members of Parliament. The Guardians established. Um, so the huge number of laws subject to rule vetting cover matters ranging from justice social security pensions race relations and food policy through to obscure rules on car parking charges and hovercraft don't know why that <laughs> there but um this one though that... what's that hello
1: yep sorry he,
0: he, <laughs> okay sorry so don't freeze it yeah no I, I don't know what what the thing about hovercraft is but it also goes into, as you'd expect, uh, they included draft laws that affected the Queen's personal property, such as her private estates in Balmoral and Sandringham, and potentially anything deemed to affect her personally. So, you've got a person, a very rich person, who gets to see the laws on their own property and earnings, etc., and gets to influence and also, uh, yeah, preview them. But also, you'll see later, there's also veto. They, did, they have vetoed stuff. Um, but yeah, but it, it literally affects everything. you got the European Union stuff in here. you got file safety, agricultural stuff, um, and all sorts. So the idea that they don't have a role is is very much undermined. So if we, actually, I'll jump to the next one um, over here, where you can see they're vetoed, where they actually vetoed certain documents, certain um, laws. So stop checking to see that. Yeah, okay, cool. So veto over bills. Okay, so what did they veto? Uh, 39 bills have been subject to the most senior royal's little-known power to consent or block new laws Um, and also reveal the power has been used to torpedo proposed legislation relating to decisions about the country going to war. So this one's actually slightly positive, um, this second line here, because apparently um, the Queen stopped some bill that would have allowed Parliament to strike Iraq um, independently, sort of without her, her approval. Uh, back in 1999, so here, uh, in one instance, the Queen completely vetoed the military actions against Iraq bill in 1999, a private members bill that sought to transfer the power to authorize military strikes against Iraq from the monarch to Parliament. Okay, so sure, uh, a nice you could say maybe positive thing, but of course she didn't do anything against the actual yeah you know, invasion. What she did, in the end,
1: if she had to, if she wanted the rubber stamp, she did end up using that rubber stamp, which she did. She gave Parliament permission to go to war then. <laughs>
0: So, um, can
1: argue that Iraq was, hurt. yeah, go on,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, we can't read the entire document, but basically, uh, it shows that royals are playing an active role in the democratic process, and we need greater transparency in parliament so we can be fully appraised of whether these powers of influence and veto are really appropriate at any stage. This could come up and surprise us, and we could find parliament in less is less powerful than we thought it was. So, yeah, uh, yeah, th- there's loads of things, particularly about wealth and the transfer of wealth, as well as stuff that affects their land and whether they can drive on their estates and all sorts of other weird stuff that they do veto and play like a big role on stopping or uh, whatever. Um, so th- it's a lie. It's a lie, this idea that they yeah. don't play a role in, in the process. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think because there's so little nation is in the public sort of consciousness. Um, about the royals and their duty and a lot a lot of it is just the uh, sort of the common knowledge that is most of the time not true like you ask the average joe about a swan and they will tell you with confidence their fact that they've got prepared to go did you know that every swan in the country is actually owned by the queen <laughs> So it's like that Frankie Boyle joke. The, I imagine the Queen just running around her estate with a baseball bat, beating swans to death. Going, I'm the only person who can do this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I still thought that was true. I don't know. I'm just sorry that everyone has always said the Queen I don't owns
1: but It's something that everybody believes. Right, right, right,
0: right, right. That's what you mean. Yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that. I mean, I, I if you want to talk about. Um, uh, Andrew, because uh, it was quite quite a shocking uh, thing. I mean, we'll talk about Andrew, but then also talk about the more he- historical and serious stuff that happened underneath her rule as well. I mean, but just for the sake of breaking the PR, when the, the when the machine failed, when the PR machine broke, and uh, you know the curtain was raised a bit, and and we saw some 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 bad stuff. We saw some bad PR. So this is um, Edward we
1: pointed out beforehand that. Andrew's team advised against this. He actually went against the grain. He said, "No, I need to do this. This is a good idea." They said, "This isn't gonna. This is gonna end in tears," and he ignored them. Mm-hmm. Of course, right. it did end in tears right, right,
0: <laughs> for him. Right. So, if, if you don't know um, Prince Andrew, who is apparently the Queen's favorite son, or was the Queen's favorite son, uh, was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, the guy who you know was doing sort of trafficking young girls and sex parties and all sorts of terrible, terrible things. And this was an interview that was then done um, of Andrew and he's trying to answer where and why and how uh, there's allegations that he would been um, hanging out and having sexual relations with a 17 year old girl. So this is what he said in this interview. And it's pretty, well, I'll see leave you, you can make your own opinion on this one. One, one of, of
3: Epstein's accusers, Virginia, Virginia Roberts, Roberts yeah. has made allegations against you she was very specific about that night mm. she described dancing with you no. and you profusely sweating <laughs> and that she went on to have
2: baths possibly a, there's a slight problem with 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 with, with the sweating um because uh, i i have a peculiar medical condition which is that i don't sweat um or i didn't sweat at the time and that was oh she? yes i didn't sweat at the time because I um, ha- had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at uh, and I simply it, it was it was it was almost impossible for me to to, to sweat.
3: Do you remember dancing at tramp?
2: No that couldn't have happened because the date that's being suggested I was at home with the children.
3: You know that you were at home with the children. Mm. Was it a memorable night?
2: On that particular day that that, that um, uh, uh, we now understand is the date, which is the 10th of March, uh, I was at home, uh, I was with the children, I'd taken Beatrice to uh, a Pizza Express in Woking for a party at, a, I suppose, sort of four or five in the afternoon.
3: Why would you remember that so specifically? Why would you remember a, a Pizza Express birthday and being at home?
2: Because. Going to Pizza Express in Woking is an unusual thing for me to do. A very unusual thing for me. To do. I've never been, I've only been to Woking a couple of times, um, and I remember it weirdly, distinctly. As soon as somebody reminded me of it, I went, oh, yes, I remember that.
1: Is so just, there that I don't think you can cook on it. she's asking him a question. And he's answering verbally, yes, and he's shaking his head, and he's like, "You realise you're saying no right now?" (laughs) Quite involuntary. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so we've already picked that apart.
0: (laughs) Right, 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 right. I mean, I feel like there's two things I want to say about that thing. One is the ham-fisted attempt to shove his war record in there. Like, I can't sweat uh, because I'm. I exposed to so much adrenaline during the Four mm. War when I served. Right, um, hero that, valiantly, for my country. <laughs> I don't sweat because I'm a war hero. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second part is just, you know, we watched earlier. The people have spoken and picked their sovereign and the people's princess and the, the, all of this stuff. And then you've got a, a man, her son, um, who says, well, the reason I can remember this Thursday from many years ago is because I went to a Pizza Express and that is not something I do. So what a brilliant way to sound completely unrelated and un, yeah. uh, un, un, unfamiliar with like ordinary people. Yeah. <laughs> to show like how how bizarre and how different this class of people is.
1: Yeah. How they literally just don't share anything in common with us, that's all.
0: Yeah. Going to a pizza restaurant. I mean, also Pizza Express it's is not like a men. You know, quite
1: Oh, on that date, which we now know is that date, you mean that date where nothing happened? How can you, how did you even determine it was that date if nothing happened on that date? Like,
0: yeah.
1: It could have been any date if, it, if nothing happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On a side note, <laughs> I want to express that Pizza Express is not just like, you know, it's not like a, a, a it's not, it's it's a, I would say, medium, medium to top pizza restaurant. It's not, you're not talking about the, the, the worst type of pizza shop, just to, <laughs> just in case anyone doesn't know what Pizza Express yeah. is. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, bizarre. A terrible interview and a moment when the PR like collapsed. You yes. had a, a huge yeah. embarrassment. And yes, I, it, there and film, being
1: I believe there's actually mm-hmm. a film in production at the moment of this interview. In oh, the man. spirit of, I don't know if you ever saw that film, um, Snow. Frost Nixon.
0: Yes, Frost Nixon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is worthy enough to make a film out of, of a car crash interview. Obviously, this is the Absolutely. career. This is what ruined his career. What we've just. Essentially, yeah. watched, and yeah. This yeah. is why he's so, not yeah. got allowed to wear a uniform today at his brother's ascension, and obviously, why Charles is king and he has been given the queen's corgis. Of course, being given the corgis is a perfect job for him, since he is a, a groomer. <laughs> nice
0: one, <laughs> okay. Okay.
3: <laughs>
0: very, good, very good, very good. Um, oh, a side note uh, apparently, also the queen has invented her own breed of dog. It's mm. called the Doggy uh, a dash hunt mixed with a corgi, um, uh, but it's not, it's not been recognized by any official body. Uh, it also, it, in classic royal style, uh, it's a, basically a form of incest because it was her sister's dogs and her dogs, you know, and a bit of, bit of inter-family mixing to, to create mm. a new breed of uh, super royal dog. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, we, well, we should probably talk about the stuff that happened under her reign so yeah. the queen chooses to be the sovereign and stand for the state uh is the head of the state so what i mean we can't go into all of the history of the british empire after 1953 until 2022 but i think what would be interesting to read is some of the stuff that africans have been saying um now that she's died regarding the uh the relationship with 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 uh, yeah with the queen yeah. and with the emperor yeah. Um, So there's a really good one from, uh, first let's look at this one here. This is from the New York Times, which just goes over some stuff, some of the things that were said. So so bear in mind, when she gets the news of her dad dying in 52, she's in Kenya. She's on um, a royal engagement, her first sort of solo royal engagement. She went because her dad was sick. Her dad dies and she's in Kenya. So bear in mind that this is a picture of what was happening in Kenya in 1952? So you've got Mama fighters uh, detained. Uh, this, of course, was a colony. These guys were anti-colonial um, rebels who were trying to overthrow the colonial authority, and they're in concentration camps. That's a yes. concentration camp. Um, and she was there. She saw that. She knew that was going on. That was happening under her government um, a few days as she, you know, when she took power. But there's loads of horrible stories here. You're talking about. Um, castration, uh, thousands of people in, in camps, uh, I mean, i try to find this stuff here. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a, a completely horrible, horrible situation. Uh, here we go, torture, rape, castration, and killing of tens of thousands of people. And bear in mind, this is from the New York Times, which I, I doubt is, uh, the most hard hitting when it comes to this. I don't think they want to dig as, and cut as deep as, as maybe someone else might. Uh, which we yeah. can read now, yeah. the, the Economic Freedom Fighters statement. Um, but I did like this this statement here from one of the young Kenyans. So this is a young Kenyan lawyer, a 34-year-old, uh, Alice Mugo um, from Kenya. She says, you can look at the monarchy from the point of view of high tea and nice outfits and charity, but there's also the ugly side, and for you to ignore the ugly side is dishonest. Completely.
1: Mm.
0: I think that's a great way to summarize it. And I'll just jump onto the uh, economic freedom fighters, because I don't think I can do justice of a good uh, reply. And I think they can. So here we go. This is from the economic freedom fighters in South Africa. Um, This is their statement on the death of, of Lizzie. So they say the economic freedom fighters notes the death of Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor, the queen of the United Kingdom, and the ceremonial head of state of several countries that were colonized by the United Kingdom. Elizabeth ascended to the throne in 1952, reigning for 70 years as a head of an institution built up, sustained, and living off a brutal legacy of dehumanization of millions of people across the world. We do not mourn the death of Elizabeth because to us her death is a reminder of a very tragic period in this country and Africa's history. Britain, under the leadership of the royal family, took over control of this territory that would become South Africa in 1795 from Batavian control and took permanent control of the territory in 1806 from that moment onwards native people of this land have never known peace, nor have they ever enjoyed the fruits of their riches of this land, riches which were and still are utilized for the enrichment of the British royal family and those who look like them. From 1811, when Sir John Craddock declared war against Amatrosa in the Sewardveld, in what is now known as the Eastern Cape, up until 1906, when the British crushed the Bambata Rebellion, our interaction with Britain under the leadership of the British royal family has been one of pain and suffering of death and dispossession, and of dehumanization of African people. We remember how Tele died in the aftermath of the Fifth Frontier War, how King Itza was killed like a dog on the 11th 11th of May 1835 during the Sixth Frontier War and had his body mutilated and his head taken to Britain as a trophy. It was also the British royal family that sanctioned the actions of Cecil John Rhodes who plundered this country, Zimbabwe and Zambia. It was the British, royal family that benefited from the brutal mutilation of people of Kenya, whose valiant resistance to British colonialism invited vile responses from Britain. In Kenya, Britain built concentration camps and suppressed, with such inhumane brutality, the Mau Mau Rebellion, killing Dedan Kimati on the 18th of February, 1957, while Elizabeth was already queen. This family plundered India via the East India Company It took over control and oppressed the people of the Caribbean islands. Their thirst for riches led to the famine that caused millions of people to die in Bengal, and their racism led to the genocide of Aboriginal people in Australia. Elizabeth Windsor, during her lifetime, never acknowledged these crimes that Britain and her family in particular perpetrated across the world. In fact, she was a proud flag bearer of these atrocities because during her reign, when the people of Yemen rose to protest against British colonialism in 1963, Elizabeth ordered a brutal suppression of that uprising. During her 70-year reign as a queen, she never once acknowledged the atrocities that her family inflicted on native people that Britain invaded across the world. She willingly benefited from the wealth that was attained from the exploitation and murder of millions of people across the world. The British royal family stands on the shoulders of millions of slaves who were shipped away from the continent to serve the interests of racist white capital accumulation, at the center of which lies the British royal family. If there is really like life and justice after death, May Elizabeth and her ancestors get what they deserve. Pretty hard-hitting stuff. Oh, sorry. Oh, did you drop out there? That's fine. Did you catch all that, Chris?
1: I, I caught the majority of it. I think I lost out during uh, a king was killed by killed like a dog.
0: Well, I mean, uh, yeah, it was a, It's pretty much, I'd say, one of the best summaries of the points you need to know in relation to the royal family's role historically, and also even under her reign, that mention of Yemen, uh, the mention of Kenya again, the Mau Mau, um, yes, yeah. as as the lawyer said earlier, the, the tea parties and what, sure, if you wanna focus on that, but it's not honest, it's not a real reflection of, of who they are and what they have done and what they've come from.
1: No, and that's what's really jarring that you, we can point to so many places throughout the world, and yeah. find statements so similar to this and stories so similar to this. Throughout India and Pakistan and, and Burma and Bangladesh, you'd get so many stories of people who are split from their land under the direction of the British Empire. And really the only people who speak the opposite of that, are really unfortunate the people who were lucky enough to be born directly on this sovereign land. If you were lucky enough to be born here and lucky enough to be born in a very specific time and situation, you might have been impervious to some of the nastier actions. But unfortunately, mm. there's a Churchill quote that that sort of explains us that the wealth of the West is built uh, on the graves of the East. We live comfortably because they didn't. Mm. 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 Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. And any of the comforts that we do have in the West were brought about uh, through struggle against... These people in this class. Yeah. Um, Yeah. These people were not necessarily on our side of history. No. uh, Necessarily quite, quite very much against most of the progress and things that we do enjoy um, in different parts of the world.
1: Yeah. But things that, even things in this country that we do, that we enjoy, that we class as a credit to this government or to this establishment, things like the NHS, were actually Mm -hmm. born, given to us as a Token gesture to stop us rebelling like the rebellions that we were putting down in Greece after World War II. Yeah. It was at yeah. a time when our revolutionary movement was at its highest. It was a case of we need to give them something to calm them down or they'll kill us. <laughs> mm, mm, mm.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um yeah, placate us, right? Yeah, yeah no. placate us. Uh, I guess this is one of those ones where we we, we, we can agree with the Americans because uh, you know the, the royal family is something that they have overthrown and yes. they live yeah. at least in a in some form of republic. Um, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, a, a country that is an imperialist country with an anti-imperialist past, which is, I think, a lot of British people always find it quite jarring when they hear, the, usually for the first time, America's relationship to, for instance, a group like the IRA. Because obviously Americans have got a very different opinion of the IRA than what the British would imagine they'd do. But the majority, yeah. obviously America, have got a huge Irish uh, population and they see yeah. a lot of themselves in the IRA. <laughs>
0: like,
1: like a group that fought to, to unshackle themselves from British rule. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, th- I, think, I think... Yeah, uh, so 100%. 100%. The Americans were, were were part of a, a large part of sponsoring the peace treaty, weren't they? The Good Friday Agreement.
0: Yes. Yeah. No. You're absolutely right. This is this is one of those things where, in uh, in between imperialist nations, there's there is that contra- there is this contradiction, yeah. uh, and the Americans have have got sort of this uh, historical antagonism towards the royal family and towards the, the you know the monarchy and the yeah. system that they did overthrow. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. They did uh underwrite all I think. I'm not quite sure, the, I'm quite sure the exact term, but yes, they played that important role in the signing of the, the Good Friday Agreement, uh, guarantors perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm sure I think I do have uh, another video I wanted to show of the Queen's first ever uh, broadcast. It's at, when she's a child, almost, uh, well, she's very young, I believe yeah. Um, yeah. talking about the early experiences of the war and, um, I think it is obviously, you know, again, soft power. It's how she wants to be portrayed. So I'll put that one up. uh, And then I don't know if we can have some final thoughts to close on. Unless you want to talk about something else, Chris? I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add.
1: Um, Well, to this video, what I really want to talk about is the future, really. Mm, 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 mm. Let's have a look at this video
0: okay why, should you, why Why don't we close on it we'll let that one be the last word and we can just okay. hear the queen the last broadcast can be her, her first broadcast so yeah. we'll, at, least on this, at least on this channel so go ahead the future yeah the future is a very interesting one uh about so, where where this is all going
1: for uh, since with the queen being so old it's like uh to me i the kind of person that i always use is you get an elastic band ball and you don't want to throw it away until you've seen how big you can actually get it that was what the queen was for me I she got to a certain age we was like well, we can't really get rid of her well let's just let her die and for as a republican in this country i thought we were being incredibly incredibly polite not really campaigning too hard while she was alive but we always said the minute she's dead oh the the game's over we're going out full swinging now we should mm-hmm. be having that discussion as loud and as public as we we can This is an undemocratic institution. It doesn't belong in the 21st century. We should be now having that discussion to become a republic. Already, when you look at these polls, like like ITV did one during the jubilee last year, um, 29% of the population said that they wanted to become a republic. And that's without even anyone campaigning. They've come to that conclusion on their own. Imagine what that would be with a decade or two of campaigning. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it wouldn't Mm -hmm. take that long, but... If you look at, say, an issue like Scottish independence, how quickly those numbers changed throughout uh, the SNP's term in power, we have a good campaign behind us. And this isn't a popular king, the popularity was with the Queen. It's not that they love the institution, they had an affinity for this dear old lady with sweet voice and nice dogs.
3: Yeah, that's what they liked.
1: They liked the public relations side of it. Yeah, they felt that
0: 100%. Yeah, it's it's people like the PR and the, the nice face. They don't, yeah. if they think of the institution and think about the undemocratic relationship and the fact that they do veto stuff and then all of the money and, and then of course there's the, the, the bizarre actual characteristics of what these people actually, how they live. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's what people actually like. People like the facade of the Royal family. If they like it, uh, they like the parties and the weddings and, and the, fa- the fairy tale. Um, yes. but if you actually start talking to them about, well, do you think that a really rich person should sit in and have a private meeting um, with our leader, and and poor people can't have that same representative sit there permanently? Um, you know, is that is that how we should have it? Should there be a permanent seat, unelected, of this royal family? You, you, if you someone said that to you, that's that's not democratic. It's not. It's yeah. It's really. Not. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right though. Just 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 while you're um, while you were speaking there, it seems in terms of the public Republican movement, sorry, um, and Republican meaning anti-monarchy, not Republican as an American Republican. Yeah. Um, King Charles is a different kettle of fish. So apparently this is now the moment. And I agree. I mean, it did feel like because of how long she'd been around, she'd been there since the 60s. Everyone's mind, you know, the queen has always been there. Too, too much to to try and push the, the boat there uh, on the yeah. Republican. But now that she's gone and you've got um, Elizabeth uh, gone, sorry. They've got Charles. And then I suppose William and then, I guess, George after that. So, and also now we've entered the stage where there will be one every roughly 20 years because of the, the age difference and whatnot. Um, yeah. you know, Charlie's at best got 20 years. He's uh, a man, you know, a 93 yeah. old man, not as common as a 93-year-old woman. Um, so yeah. It's now
1: within the realm of possibility that we could possibly have two kings this decade.
0: Right, I mean, yeah, exactly. If he got very sick in the next five years, absolutely, yeah. Before before 2030, that's very possible. I mean, he would be he would be nearly uh, he would be over 80 uh, yeah. or close to eighty, very easy. I mean, uh, yeah, we've had kings die in their 70s, many, yeah. many kings die in the 70s, many many men die in their 70s. Um, yeah, but so apparently the Republicans are saying that that, that there is a, a big opportunity now. So, I mean, yeah. I'm trying to see find a poll right now, but I can't see a poll that stands out to me yet. But I do think that that movement is going to get momentum now
1: it uh, usually lands around at the moment it's usually lands around a third of the population
0: okay a pro-republican
1: yeah yeah
0: okay right right but, but that's, without, also, that's without yeah that's, yeah and that's also 30 percent while the monarchy has its strongest uh representative um yeah. yeah a 20 a 70 year old monarch a 70 a 70 year reigning monarch um who's always managed to try and stay out of the mud uh, so yeah, that's that's at its best. It's thirty percent. Um, well, sorry, at its worst, Republican. But yeah, it's best yeah. support. Yeah. But yeah,
1: mm. I it was quite telling as well. I watched BBC uh, coverage of uh, when just I think the morning when she died, and it was mm. Liz Cross to just give a speech in Parliament about the energy crisis, and the BBC presenter said, "Given what's just happened this morning um, regarding the Queen." The energy crisis now seems in, seems in, ins, insignificant. And the guy who said it to me said, maybe it was, shadowed. was that that was a Freudian slip on that guy's behalf? Like, and that but that's exactly how they're going to think now. They're going to say, well, the rabble being cold for the winter and having blackouts that doesn't matter because Her
0: Majesty's dead. Right, so right, 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 right. Unless right. you're
1: going to give well, us a limage to burn to keep warm over the winter, it does matter. Like well, for the average person. The fact that they can't pay the energy bill—that is what matters, not.
0: One hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's that excellent point, Chris. Um, the cost of living crisis uh, is obviously what is going to be bothering people all over. But now that we're going into a cost of living crisis, and people are going to start um, having to, you know, cut back and not consume as much and cut on the energy bill. Interesting observation I, I, I made um, yes. when the Queen came into power in fifty two. Um, the country was on rationing back then. Um, sugar and meat, you were only allowed, whatever, 220 grams of sugar and X amount of meat per week. So people were on rationing back then when the <laughs> Queen came to power. And now that she's gone, uh, we're going back to you know rationing energy and whatever yeah. costs that you have to cut, whatever corners you have to cut in your living. So maybe, maybe she was the magic that kept away the scarcity. <laughs> so
1: you haven't seen what I actually thought you were going to say, you, you made a, a very good Point uh, the other day on social media, which I hoped you were going to say then, um, hmm. about about Scotland.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. We can talk about this too. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah,
1: so yeah, I, yeah. I thought you said that no, I don't want to sound like conspiracy, but I don't think you, I thought you sounded spot on. So just repeat what you said, please. So- right,
0: right. Right. So, so, so um, when this happened, uh, the first thing I, that came to my mind, it, it was following. Well, basically, the Queen dies in Scotland, and um, in that week, you had. Boris Johnson, fly up to Balmoral, fly back, uh, Liz Trust, fly up, fly back, both of them in the space of something like 48 hours. I think it might have even been the same day, um, which in the cost of living crisis looks very bad, you know, and the climate crisis, too. You've got polit- uh, literally two politicians making four plane trips uh, you know, together uh, over, a, over what is an administrative um, act, you know, Your Majesty, I am now the Prime Minister. Your Majesty, yes. I'm resigning from Prime Minister. Okay, yes. You know, that, it literally a completely symbolic act. I thought that's bizarre. What? Why is she there? Obviously, she was sick. Now that we know, but um, the the decision, I think, it, it just seems too uh, politically convenient. the The fruit is so big that yeah. the Queen yeah. dying in Scotland
1: like move in the seat of
0: dissuade, Yeah, dissuade Scottish nationalism. So it yeah. shows that the queen dies in Scotland. Scotland's a part of us, you know, so you can use, again, these are people that are masters of PR, are thinking about everything and how it looks and how it sounds Aesthetics. and have definitely Aesthetics. given hours of thought to where the queen will die and have yeah. gone, yeah. if she dies in Scotland, she can, um, you know, she can yeah. add to that national cohesion of Scotland and Britain and the British Union and come on, stay with us. And obviously the, the reason that my thought for that was also because David Bowie, when he was dying, uh, used his political capital, if you want to call it that, to say, uh, Scotland, stay with us at the British awards or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so that, that was yeah. why I thought that is it's because it's it's, it seems that dying people with influence do seem to exert some sort of um, attempts in politics and, and to sort of throw their last uh, lot in. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I can't prove this, that, 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 that she died. They um, purely by choice. So she did love Balmoral, blah blah blah, but it just seems like a very 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 politically convenient thing to happen.
1: Yeah, with everything that we know about about the firm and how organised its PR is, nothing is done by accident. Uh, so I completely believe that they knew she was dying. Sorry, mm. they knew she was ill. Mm. It, it f- feels to me the decision to move her to a what is it at this point a disputed territory. <laughs> <laughs> It just seems too perfect, doesn't it? The fact that it caused someone like Nicola Sturgeon to have to go on TV and say the words, the Scottish people love her majesty. I was like, oh, I could feel a little bit of throw up in your mouth as she said that.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. Now, uh, yeah, I, I do think it was, uh, It was if it was an accident, I mean, it's just the luckiest accident. So, so convenient. Yeah, um, But I, I think the optics of it, yeah, it, yeah. I, th- I think it was, that's my, my guess, my speaking. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, should we end with uh, Her Queen's Her Majesty's? Sorry, her first broadcast. I'll go and find yeah. it for you. One second. Um, it's so basically yeah, this is her speaking with, I believe it's her sister, um, and it's a message to other children of uh, the Empire, no, uh, other children of um, you know of, of Britain who are being sent away. So I'll just play it for you, and then we will close after that Wait a moment. Second, just got to skip to the ads. Okay. All right, here we go.
2: Her
3: weeks of practice to remain calm and composed. All of us children who are still at home think continually of our friends and relations who have gone overseas, who have traveled thousands of miles to find a wartime home and a kindly welcome in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa and the United States of America. My sister is by my side and we are both going to say good night to you. Come on, Margaret. Good night, children. Good night and good luck to you all.
0: Well, there you go. The queen's first message and her (laughs) last release this stream. All right. So we'll catch you next week, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. And, uh, Please. Also, we have our podcast up, and if you do enjoy this, please like, share, subscribe, notifications, bell, and comments. If you want to put in comments, any suggestions of future stuff we can do too, uh, future videos. We were going to be doing the Chilean Constitution today, but the Queen uh, compelled us to, uh, you know, not to do that. So perhaps we'll do that next week. But we'll see what happens in the week. Uh, thanks a lot, Chris.
1: Right. Thank you very much, Rich. I shall see you next week. Great. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.
0: And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille.